The Holy Gospel for this day is from Mark chapter 9. John said to Jesus, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. But Jesus said, Do not stop him, for no one who does a deed of power in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. Whoever is not against us is for us. For truly, I tell you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you bear the name of Christ will by no means lose the reward. If any of you put a stumbling block before one of these little ones who believe in me, it would be better for you if a great millstone were hung around your neck and you were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life maimed than to have two hands and go to hell to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than to have two feet and to be thrown into hell. And if your eye causes you to stumble, tear it out. It is better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than, than to have two eyes and to be thrown into hell where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if salt has lost its saltiness, how can you season it? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. I might have blown the whole sermon just giving the children's sermon, actually. That's sort of the content, but it's exactly a place to start. As we just talked about with the kids, one of the most important things that any of us can do when reading the Bible, any part of the Bible, is to look up. <laughs> that is to look at a bigger picture than the thing we happen to be reading. And when we do that today, we'll see an image that I think makes all the difference in the world. And it's a picture I want you to keep in your mind as we work our way through the rest of Jesus' words today. All of this tirade about cutting off your hands and feet starts, as I said before, when Jesus is asked by his disciples who among them is the greatest. And he wanders around to look for someone great. And the story says he takes a child in his arms. And he says, whoever welcomes this child welcomes me. And not just me, but the one who sent me. And then everything else happens. John, one of Jesus' disciples, complains about other people doing stuff without their permission. And Jesus tells them, don't worry about it. Whoever's not against us is for us. And then the rest of Jesus' words today all unfolds. But nowhere in the story does it say that Jesus ever put that kid down. So imagine that everything we hear Jesus said today is being said while Jesus is holding a three-year-old in his arms. Hold on to that image for a bit, and we'll come back to it. No matter how old we are, the truth is there are a lot of places we get stuck in this passage today. The language is brutal. And even if we explain it by saying that Jesus was trying to get people's attention, using hyperbole, something over the top to make his point, it's still pretty hard to move past the images. Among other things, we start to think about our own eyes and hands and feet and things we have done with them that might render our digits eligible for removal, shall we say. 
But there's another place in this passage that we often get stuck, and one that we don't talk about much at all, and that's in the word hell. Now, when I was in Sunday school, when I was that age as a kid, I used to get confused about why it was okay for me to say hell every Sunday in church during the Apostles' Creed, but if I used the same word at home, I got in big trouble. I remember looking up from my bulletin, sneaking a peek at the adults around me while we were confessing the creed, wondering if maybe they had not noticed this word or realized that we were all saying it out loud, including me right next to my parents. But nobody seemed bothered by it or even paid attention to it in the least. Now, on the other hand, in other places like school or home or, say, your piano lesson, this word was not welcome. Although it seemed to be okay for grown-ups to use it when they dropped a glass of milk or slammed their fingers in a door. Actually, the grown-ups seemed to think it was a pretty mild word in those circumstances. <laughs> but in the meantime, I wondered, what does this word mean? Did the people around me in church believe in hell? What did, what did that word mean to them? What did hell look like? Who ended up there? Did Lutherans have to believe in hell? Did I believe in hell? Nobody ever talked about it. I don't think I ever once heard a sermon about it, as far as I remember. And so, in the absence of any direct conversation, I picked up on ideas that other people suggested about hell. There were people who sounded very sure about who would end up there, and you can guarantee it was never them. Other people said that the very idea of hell was one of the reasons they didn't believe in God anymore. Because what kind of God, who's supposed to be about love and justice and mercy, would send people to eternal punishment? Jesus mentioned it sometimes, but not very consistently. Mostly there was silence. And as with everything, where there is silence, there's room for all kinds of misunderstanding. Here's what I learned when I started looking into the idea of hell more intentionally. And that is that the Hebrew tradition, as we know it in the Old Testament, doesn't have such a thing. No concept of an eternal reward or punishment after death. In the Old Testament, we might occasionally read the word sheol, which seems to be a kind of mysterious, undefined place where people go after they die, but there's no punishment there. And most of the verses that mention it are trying to tell us that God has power over life and death, over heaven and Sheol. Sometimes the Old Testament talks about people going down to the dust or lying in the grave, but the precise details of who goes where after we die and what happens to us is just, as far as the Old Testament is concerned, not a big problem for the Hebrew people. The actual word hell, or what we translate as hell, is used roughly 12 times in the New Testament, almost exclusively by Jesus. In this case, Jesus is talking about an actual place. We can pronounce this Greek word, Gehenna, and it means Valley of Hinnom. It was a real location. The Valley of Hinnom was southwest outside the city of Jerusalem, and it served a particular purpose for the city. 
it was the garbage dump. So in a very literal way, there's actually an easy answer to the question, is there such a thing as hell? Well, in the New Testament, yes, but it's not what we think. Gehenna was the town garbage pile. It was, as you can imagine, smelly, chaotic. Some part of it was always on fire. Wild animals would fight there over food, gnashing their teeth. It had always been there, and as far as people were concerned, it would always be there. But it wasn't in the next life. It was in this one. You could see it. You could smell it. It was right there. The other Greek word sometimes associated with hell is the word Hades, and it's in the New Testament roughly eight times. And it's a lot like Sheol in the Old Testament. It's a place after death, but there's no punishment particularly there. And that's it. Anything that people suggest the Bible teaches about hell comes from that small handful of verses. Turns out that most of what we imagine about a place of punishment after we die doesn't come from the Bible, but from much later church teachings, much of them during the Middle Ages. The same thing, by the way, applies to the idea of the devil, which is a concept that hardly ever appears in the Bible at all, but gains a lot of traction once the church has some political power and is trying to keep people in line. And yet, here we are, a couple of thousand years later, still trying to figure out what we think about this idea and this word. Here's the question, and it's one we don't ask out loud a lot. What should we do about hell? Most of us in this room, I suspect, are profoundly uncomfortable with the notion that a God whom we proclaim to be compassionate and challenging and inclusive, a God who goes all the way into human suffering, into an unfair trial and unjust imprisonment and a terrible death, a God who always chooses over and over again ways of nonviolence and poverty and simplicity, who chooses women as the first preachers of the good news and holds up children as examples of greatness, that this God would choose eternal punishment for anybody strikes us as so impossible and uncomfortable and ungodlike that we can't reconcile the two. So some people say, if hell is real, then I cannot believe in God. But others of us say, if God is real, if I believe in God, then I cannot believe in hell. Is there any way to hold these both together? Should we even try? Ironically, as much as we want to make the passage today, Jesus' words today, into hyperbole and metaphor, that might actually be the problem. <laughs> Maybe we should take Jesus more literally this time. So remember back to the beginning of a sermon when I invited you to think about this whole conversation as one Jesus is having holding a toddler in his arms. Picture that again 
And now imagine Jesus saying what he's saying, but not with all that medieval imagery piled on top of it. No guy with a pitchfork and flames. Just what Jesus is literally describing that day. The town garbage dump. And so Jesus says to his friends, look, if any of you, if any of you think that it's your job to cut people off from me and from the grace and mercy of God just because they aren't doing things the way you would do them, if you are ever tempted to think that I have come to give you the power to forgive on your terms only to the people you like and approve of, then I'm telling you, you are heading for a life no better than the garbage dump, than the wild animals who gnash their teeth. My friend, says Jesus, your sense of power and privilege, your determination to get what you want, your desire to run the world and call the shots and be in charge, cut that all off. I know you think you can't live without those things, just like you can't imagine cutting off your hand or your foot, but I'm telling you, your job is to be salt. And salt brings out the best flavors. That's what you do. If anything gets in your way of doing that, get rid of it. The dump is no place for life. Would you throw this kid in the garbage? No. Then why would you do it to anybody? Get rid of anything that's getting in your way. The truth is, all these years later, I do believe in hell. But I don't think it's waiting for us after we die like a baited trap. I think we've made plenty of it ourselves, those piles of burning trash. So that if you are a survivor of sexual assault, whether you have ever felt safe enough to tell that story or not, I'm guessing that watching the news this week felt like hell. Or if you have ever watched someone you love in agony and pain and suffering and you haven't been able to do anything about it, then you know about what feels like eternal torture. And if any of us can look around this world with honesty, and we can see everything we see every day, refugees struggling to find a home, children hungry, toxic partisanship, the increasing chasm between rich and poor, persistent racism, civil wars, religious intolerance, and our seeming inability to deal with any of it. If we can look around and not see how we are throwing each other onto the trash heap all the time, then we should probably look again. There's an evangelical writer, author, pastor named Rob Bell who wrote this book, among others. This one's called Love Wins. It's about heaven and hell. It's pretty good. And in it, he says this. Some agony needs agonizing language. Some destruction does make you think of fire. Some betrayal actually feels like you've been burned. So we need a word 
that refers to the big, wide, terrible evil that comes both from the secrets hidden deep within our hearts all the way to the massive society-wide collapse and chaos that comes when we fail to live in God's world, God's way. And for that, the word hell works quite well. Let's keep it. Here's the last thing. And probably, not probably, the, for sure, the most crucial, crucial thing that the church has taught about hell from the very beginning. You and I say it every week, even as our kids look around and wonder if we really know what we are saying. And sometimes I wonder if we realize, too, the radical depth and gospel that we confess when we say, we trust in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again. We're saying when we say that, that we trust in a God who chose us, humans, flesh and blood, human community and brokenness, all our mistakes and all our goodness. And this God chose to come to us as a child, a vulnerable little kid, born to an unwed teenage mother in a small occupied nation with no global strength. He was unjustly executed and he descended into the dump, into the garbage, right into the center of everything that tries to kill us or silence us or erase us or end us. And it could not hang on to him. All of us will descend into hell at some point, but it won't be in the next life. At some point, we will be sick or afraid. We will be abused or harmed. We will despair and lose hope. We will be betrayed, and in it, we will feel utterly alone. And maybe to tell the truth about that, we still need the word hell. But what we need more is the promise. That beautiful and true and gracious promise that we confess together every week. That the worst thing never does get to hang on to us. That is what this book tells us. Love wins. In spite of everything we see, love wins every time. And for that we can say, thanks be to God. Amen.